Hello everybody, welcome back to Blockchain Won't Save the World. We're back again with another roast. If you didn't check out the previous one from season one, the roast of blockchain, that was super exciting. There'll be some familiar faces in today's show that have made it back again for this particular episode. But today we're roasting NFTs, non-fungible tokens. There's a huge amount of interest in this particular topic. Tokens as a concept aren't new, but for some reason it's going through a renovation. And I've got some OGs of the blockchain and NFT space to talk through the good, the bad, and the ugly of what's happening in the NFT space today. As with the traditional roast format, we're gonna start with a quick intro. We've got people with a background in technology and IP, wallets and custody, token-based businesses, physical and digital collectibles, and of course the law. You can't have one of these discussions without a lawyer in the room. So I'm gonna let the guys do a quick introduction. And I'm also gonna ask you, if you could be any type of NFT, what would you be? And I'm gonna start with Brendan Cooper. Brendan, have at it. All right, thank you for having us on today, Anthony. At uh, Panini, we've been creating NFTs for about the last 15 months. I'm leading those initiatives with the uh, NFT and digital systems at Panini. And I am currently in the middle of a rebrand. We started when blockchain was actually something everyone knew about and NFTs weren't a thing. And now they are. So if I was going to be any NFT, I would be an officially licensed NFL trading card of Roger Staubach and his special moment when he created the the Hail Mary concept and won the game and it was fantastic. Very good. And are you saying that the Panini blockchain is your Hail Mary? You're going all in? It is, absolutely. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much for that, Brendan. Irina, over to you. Hi. Uh, hi, wonderful people. Greetings from sunny Switzerland. And I, I'm going to be one of those pin and neck lawyers who would be questioning everything that is being told today about NFTs. What is an NFT? A GIF that I can copy and paste and sell next day? I'm not sure. So I'm waiting for the wonderful panel that we have today to explain to me what an NFT is, to explain to me what the value of an NFT is. And if I'm convinced, I will let you know what sort of NFT I am. So far, I am refusing to be any NFT because I do not see any practical value in NFTs till date. CryptoKitties, fantastic. They clogged up the Ethereum network. Burned Banksy, they bought beautiful art of Banksy, one of my favorite artists. They've burnt it. I mean, what is, what's next? Are we going to start burning books next? I mean, I don't think that's a very good idea to be burning art in order to have a digital copy of it in your wallet. So I am very, very skeptical of NFTs, but I'm also consider myself rather open-minded to be convinced otherwise. Awesome. So we're already now fighting for Arena's approval. Thank you so much for that. It wouldn't be a roast without some controversial opinions. Keir Finlow-Bates, welcome back again, a veteran from the first roast. Tell us a little bit about your experience with NFTs. And if you were going to be one, what would you be? Hi, so I'm Keir Finlow-Bates. And uh, I spend most of my time researching blockchain and trying to form links between the technical aspects of blockchain and people's general understanding of the topic. So when it comes to NFTs, uh, I've looked through the uh, NFT standards. I coded up some things in Solidity and launched them on test networks to see how they work. And uh, I've thought a bit about what they 
could be useful for and watched what the world has decided in the last few months they are useful for. So I'll talk a bit more about that later on. As for what NFT I would be, uh, I would be a randomly minted NFT in the ERC-1155 standard launched on the Rinkeby testnet in order to be integrated in a game that was ultimately never launched. Yeah, there you go. Fantastic. Thank you so much for that, Kit. I'm sure there's a backstory behind that. We might find a little bit more about that later. And Griffin, welcome back. Thank you for getting up super early where you are, as, as it is for many of you guys. Talk us through your experience with NFTs. And if you were going to be one, which would you be? Yeah, so I'm a product manager with an engineering background. I've worked a lot of great companies, but specifically I've worked also in the blockchain space in the startup world. And so while I specifically wasn't minting NFTs, I was in the Ethereum world. And so everyone around me was kind of really excited. And I was like, you know, I keep hearing about CryptoKitties and how they're clogging up everything. And I know people who've been buying NFTs for years and in my time in blockchain, which I've been able to talk a lot about this places like Columbia, also with like O'Reilly, NFTs has not come up at all until this year. No one was really interested in, in hearing about them. People, even if they knew what they were, it wasn't really something you, you talk about at a, at a party. You know, people want to talk about Bitcoin. It's the one that people, you know, recognize um, when they hear it. That's, that's kind of my relationship with NFTs. And as someone who's a product manager, it's been really interesting to see because the NFT itself kind of is the product and the only other products out there are kind of like the marketplaces for these things. But if I had to be an NFT, I would have to take Irina's stance of, I wouldn't be an NFT because I don't like the idea of, um, you know, number one, being something that can be bought and sold on the blockchain. I think I am original enough that I can exist without Ethereum, maybe not totally, but I, I don't have to live on Ethereum as a human. And I don't have to be something that um, has some sort of predetermined value, <laughs> not predetermined, but it has, has, you know, you can be put on like open sea and you have to pay like some absurd amount in gas to purchase. There we go. So Anne is not available on the open market and cannot be bought for gas. Yep. Thank you. Thank you so much for the <laughs> intro. And Sebastian, round us off here. Give us your background yeah. and the work that you guys have been doing with tokens and, and the wider ecosystem. Hi, my name is Sebastian Becker. I'm the Chief Commercial Officer at Riddle & Code, a Vienna-based company that proud themselves to be seen as the blockchain interface company. And if I remember correctly, our founder, Tom Firstner, also thought about how to connect blockchain to the physical world when, because he's also you know, heavily involved in the art space. So we had some early projects about tagging real paintings and uh, other forms of art. So I think NFTs have been not in inevitable, but it took a while for the concept to, to digitize trading cards and, and all other forms of use that we've also known before. But now everything has heated up uh, and we are more worried about the infrastructure and the backends for NFTs or NFT marketplaces. And it's kind of interesting to see the requests that we get these days, you know, to help people uh, with NFTs. And if I would have a wish, yeah, I think, you know, if Nietzsche would still be alive, to put out one of his aphorisms as an NFT, or also in the charity space, uh, I think there are still some interesting use cases uh, to come, uh, but also, of course, in the industrial space. So endless use cases and interesting topic. Happy to jump on the roast. 
Brilliant. Thank you so much for that, Sebastian. And clearly, you've got a lot to contribute here. And, and Irina, listen carefully. Sebastian's got some good ideas for you. So hopefully we've got you swayed by the end of the show. And it wouldn't be a blockchain roast without a superhero reference for me. As you guys know, I'm a big superhero fan, DC, Marvel, all of the above. And so if I was going to be any particular NFT, I think I would have to be a digital representation of IP or intellectual property. There's a Batman quote that sits behind this. As a man, I'm both... Actually, maybe I'll, will I do it in the Batman voice? Maybe I'll do it in the Batman voice. Do it, do it, do it. As a man, I am flesh and blood. I can be ignored. I can be destroyed. But as a symbol, as a symbol, I can be incorruptible. I can be everlasting. I'm not sure if I'm ever going to make it as a voiceover artist, but the idea of living as an idea, as a concept that cannot be challenged, that can be uh, immutable and laid there forever based on whatever time I get captured as that NFT, whatever that symbol is going to be, I think Batman's taken, but that's my particular take on it. I like the idea of having ideas captured, codified, and then made available for everyone forever. So, Have you registered the bat chain? <laughs> bat chain. I have not registered bat chain. I'm go, sure go, go. somebody somebody in DC yeah. has got on top of that one already. Yes. But if not, you guys can race for it in the background while someone else is talking. So let's get into the details of this, right? I've got a brilliant panel here, and I'd like each of you to give us two to three minutes worth of a particular deep dive on your area of expertise. So we're going to start with Kia. It wouldn't be fair to start a roast without the context, the one-on-one level behind what is the topic of tokenization and NFTs as a domain. Kier, help break it down for us. Gosh, I've been thinking about this on and off over the last few days, uh, and how can you cover this in a very brief, understandable way? So if you just look at it purely technically, you've got blockchains, which are shared ledgers. So you can imagine those like a, a spreadsheet that anybody can go and edit as long as they follow the rules of the game. And each row in the spreadsheet has a specific owner. So you have to be the person with the private key, the password to do something with that row. And that gives you a kind of ownership of that row in the spreadsheet. And if you look at cryptocurrencies, that row will say you have a thousand or 10,000 units of a cryptocurrency that you control, you own but they're purely digital. Now, an NFT has the same kind of row, but there's only the number one in there. Either you have it or you don't. You can't break it down. And that's why they're described as non-fungible. They are unit pieces that cannot be broken down into smaller fractions. So you can't have 0.1 of an NFT. Well, technically you can. Let's not get too complicated quite yet. Basically, they are like cryptocurrencies where there's only one coin and that coin can't be divided. And then the second thing that's been tacked onto them is the idea that there can be some metadata in that row. So it doesn't just say, I own this one token. It also has a space for you to put a link, for example, to a web page or a piece of text or whatever digital data you like. So from a computing point of view, it's not actually that complicated. They're actually easier than cryptocurrencies because you don't have to do any complicated arithmetic in keeping track of a balance. You either have it or you don't. However, from a, a social point of view, there things get complicated. And I think that when we start looking at some of the cases where things have gone wrong, you'll find that most of them break down to the fact that the token is stored on the blockchain. It lives there, it's a hermetic system, that it can't go wandering off into the real world. And when you have a token and you're saying it represents something in the real world, unlike the blockchain system, which has these protocols and rules and consensus systems, when you get out into the real world, those no longer apply. 
And that's what I find so funny about people saying that, you know, they have this NFT token and it represents something in the real world. And unless, and Irina will have to weigh in on this, unless there's some kind of contract linking those two things together. At the moment, I don't see any kind of decentralized way of linking a, the ownership of a virtual token on a blockchain to a real object. However, if you're in the digital space, then I can see that there are possibilities for you to link things together. You can have a proprietary game that goes and looks on the blockchain to see who owns a particular token, and they can instantiate something in the game that only the game player has. I think I've covered quite a lot of concepts very quickly there. <laughs> But really what it boils down to with these tokens is there's this, these standards for them and each token represents a digital ownership of a, an individual object in a blockchain and nothing more, unless you start building other things around it. And hopefully we'll discuss a bit about what those other things could be in order to give these tokens more meaning than just being the owner of one entry on an accounting ledger. For sure. Thank you so much for that, Keir. And I know Sebastian's chomping at the bit to talk about digital twins and how do we mm -hmm. ensure provenance and link the digital to the physical. But before we get there, Brendan, you're somebody who's been in this space, who is an OG collectibles SME in this space. Panini, as, as I know them, have been the collectibles brand of note uh, since I was a child, right, in terms of talking about physical sticker books and collectible cards. And now that's translated into the digital world. Help us understand a little bit about the key drivers or the key important points around collectibles and how that's then converted into blockchain collectibles and the work you guys have been doing. You bet. So Panini's operating in a 120-year-old category, and we take it really seriously. Trading cards have been around forever. And the Panini brand's a 60-year-old brand. So these issues that um, Kier was talking about, where we're trying to establish what's real because the persistent of an item is really important to its collectability. So as a collector, whether I'm collecting trading cards or crystals or uh, just about any other physical objects, I can expect to take those and put them in my vault, leave them, bequeath them. They have all kinds of property rights attached to them at law just by being in existence. Now these virtual products, the digital products, they don't have standing at law. So one of the things that's really important is both the legal representation of the collectible, as well as the technical implementation, the technical instantiation of the attributes that will make it persistent. And so where we are in the state of the art, the emergence of these NFTs, which no one was talking about last year, and now everyone's talking about them, is it's really important to understand what the legal terms are, because it doesn't have standing in law except for the conditions under which you buy it. So the terms of service are really important and nobody reads those things, but it's really important that you understand as a collector what you're getting because that law under the terms of services actually represents a binding contract and represents the thing. And then from a technical standpoint, it's really key that these assets that the token is pointing to, okay, the thing you experience is the thing you collect. A token is a token, it's a hash riding on a blockchain. But the thing you experience is what you want. That's what needs to be persistent. And there are a lot of standards that haven't emerged that will emerge and other technologies that are going to enable that to happen. But we're still in the very earliest days. And I can imagine, especially from a, a legal standpoint, how people would have some concerns around the ability of the NFT collectible to actually persist in time. 
That's really interesting, Brennan. And we could spend an entire show just on this particular topic. In fact, we did, didn't we? Um, but we did. but I, I think it's also important to realize that obviously across a spectrum of different types of digital asset or, or non-fungible token, you could be talking about a concert ticket. You can be talking about That's right. an image of a particular moment in time, sporting moment. It could be a Pokemon card. You could be talking about access rights to a commodity or a piece of intellectual property, the rights yes. to a song which logistically is very complicated to manage and, and maintain because of the proliferation of music over a number of different platforms. It gets complicated, but I think it's important for people to realize that we're not just only talking about all the time about those digital images or those digital trading card types. It, it's broader, but I think the Correct. your point around make sure you read the T's and C's that persists across a number of different settings. We've touched on law, so Irina, I'm going to bring you in on this one. I know we're here to convince you and we're here to get your approval that this domain has validity, <laughs> but Brendan started teeing up the concept of legal consideration. So from your perspective as someone who works in blockchain significantly, what are the things that we need to be aware of? What are the things that worry you? Well, I was a bit cheeky saying that NFT has no use and I'm completely not convinced. What is an NFT? NFT is a token, right? And as Kira correctly said, it's a token whether you have it or not. Then there is all sorts of issues there, as Brendan pointed out, connection of that token to a real-world asset or a real-world right or a real-world obligation. Because a token, it's nothing. A token is a, is a piece of paper, and whatever I write on here, that's what it is. I can write in here that it represents a, a unit in a fund, then I'm subject to, to all sorts of rules and regulations and laws to do with funds and how capital is being pulled in order to create that pooled asset scheme. Or it can be that card in, in Brendan's safe. And then, you know, as far as I'm concerned, how are cards regulated? There might be some sort of copyright there or some sort of a trademark perhaps, but nothing too complicated, nothing that an attorney cannot handle. Or it can be some sort of a fractional ownership of a, a painting, which, which was burned. Okay, so what are we going to do about that now so there's no one legal approach fits everything because nft is not everything it might be 600 different things what i personally have a problem with is that connection of a um, digital token to a real world how do we know that real world asset has not been double spent already so you know your double spent problem is i've connected it to my beautiful diamond but i've sold the diamond but i keep you know selling the uh, nfts to 50 different people that's an amazing uh, scheme and if anybody wants to get involved, let me know. But that's not something I would be encouraging people to do. That's why I'm such a big fan of Bitcoin. It's internet native currency. It is born on the internet. It stays on the internet. Nobody has to check any spreadsheet in real world if Anthony does indeed have his 1000 Bitcoin as he claims, etc, etc. It is native. It lives online. Now with NFTs, that, for example, link to a real-world asset. There's one jurisdiction, Liechtenstein, just you know, down the road. Um, they came up with a new license that license individuals or companies to check that digital and the real-world connection. So, for example, Brandon is issuing a, an NFT of whatever real asset, and then here I am sitting with a Liechtenstein license. I audit him once a year whether he indeed still has that asset. 
Is that something we want? Is that something we want to move into? Or do we want to keep tokens purely to a digital realm and have those digital native assets which are just living in the internet? Same thing with DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations. We do not have right now a company which is native on the internet, which is was born on the internet, stays on the internet, and all governance happens in the internet. There's lots of legal initiatives over there trying to put some sort of legal wrapper around things. But uh, I think we're still early days, and that legal wrapper might work in some jurisdictions, might not work in other jurisdictions. So as a lawyer, whenever people come and say, oh, we've got an NFT, we need legal advice. Okay, fantastic. What are you actually doing? We're doing an NFT. Okay, what is your NFT doing? So that's what makes me so skeptical is Paris Hilton went into NFTs yesterday or the day before. So for me, it's peak hype when Paris Hilton is now the chief speaking officer or chief cheerleading officer of NFTs. Again, does she understand what it is? Probably not so much, but it's not her job to understand things. Her job is to hype things. My job is trying to understand things, and that's why I'm a little bit skeptical where we are at the moment. Nice. I love that, Irina. And thank you again. It wouldn't be an, an Irina Hever appearance without a Bitcoin shout out. Also, the world's favorite legal maxi. Also, at the same time, a couple of really important points there is the assumption that because it's digitally native, it is pervasive and it can't be taken down. And Brendan, I know he's got a particular perspective on this one is Bitcoin is particularly challenging to take down. Not technically impossible, but very, 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 very difficult. Some digital platforms that are relatively new, less mm. so. So kind of thing one, I think thing two that I observed from that is that the world of NFT disputes is even more nascent than the technology, right? So there is probably a way in the real world to protect yourself or your rights, to ensure yourself or your rights against loss or defrauding of those particular assets you hold. If you believe it's worth 68 million and somebody could capture it, take it, steal it, it could therefore be insured and could be an opportunity for the DeFi space. In terms of the ability to protect those assets, if we can recognize that they exist, then there is an ownership right against them. That's a different show. But I think, I think that's a whole other spin-off area of interest that I think will become more interesting over time. I'm going to get into digital twins now because there's been a couple of mentions of it. Sebastian, talk us through how do we create greater certainty that something that exists in the real world can be understood, realized, recognized in the digital world? Okay, so where should we start? First of all, I think it's about A, provenance, and, and B, scarcity, and, and you know what's the degree of your belief in certain systems. If you take indulgences by the Catholic Church you know, in the medieval times, that was a great promise, but there was no reliable registry. And I think if you ended up in NFT heaven, uh, nobody knew that you had paid for it. So that's, of course, to be avoided. Back then, people got these indulgence letters, you know, pieces of paper, as Arena pointed it out, but you could write whatever you wanted on it. Uh, and, and still, this doesn't solve the problems of do we believe in something. But if we really need to connect physical objects to an NFT or to any other, you know, blockchain-related process, then, of course, the question is, what do we do? We can't hash physical objects, so we need to bring the highly secure, cryptographically secured blockchain system to objects. So that means we talk about chips. And if you devise very or highly secure crypto hardware form factors, be it as full electronic crypto chip modules or in, in the form factor of a crypto sticker that can work like a seal, then you can attach the blockchain, if you want, to physical objects. So for machines, it's easy. It 
it's just, just another chip. Uh, and if you do the hardware module design correctly, then it gets awfully difficult to hack into hardware. So basically, it's about creating tamper-proof systems that are then registered on the blockchain with you know, the chips ID or private key, if you want, with associated metadata. And then you start to compute against this digital twin level. But you can always ping the machine. And if it sends a ping back, yes, I'm still unaltered, unchanged. Nobody has corrupted with me. Then you know that your Siamese twin is, is doing well. Huh? So that's one way of doing it. Now, if we talk about the, the lighter crypto sticker form factor, that might be more relevant for you know, objects of art, for example, painting, canvas, etc. Well, the most important thing there is the antenna. You can work on the antenna design. You can try to weave it into a canvas, for example. You need a, a smallish microcontroller, and then you know it's energy harvesting. So with its energetic uh, or electric fields can power the chip. Uh, and then it's the same mechanism. You have a, an immutable identity or tamper-proof identity spent by the chip associated to the object. And, and then you can create registries. So yes, uh, here I've built, a, I've done a sculpture uh, and there have only been, I don't know, 10 casts of it. And all of them are registered on the blockchain. They either have a chip associated or attached to them, or they have a, a separate physical certificate, like a piece of warranty that we also know from, from the analog world, of course. And only if you hand over both in a more or less complex procedure, then you really hand owner over ownership uh, of an NFT that has a, a physical representation as well. But there's a second concept, I'll keep it short. All of those who are now worrying, you know, how do I create the most interesting NFTs? Don't forget, you can also put them out as, what's the equivalent, a bearer bond, put them on a chip, meaning, you know, a wallet, like we know it for cryptocurrencies, and then you can physically hand it over and you can work on the wallet design, you know, that can also become a piece of art uh, if you want. And that's a very, or I would say a much more interesting go-to-market than, you know, just have an address on an Ethereum blockchain. And lastly, and that's the infrastructure part, of course, as always in that space, you have to worry about, you know, ownership of keys. So you need a wallet. If you're a company like Panini, you better need, you know, a custody solution and a backend uh, and everybody should be a little bit worried if, if networks like Ethereum are really going to be there and sustainable economically, technically for longer decades. So really take private ownership of an NFT uh, on a crypto wallet, take it offline uh, if you want. That's of course still something I would do for objects of value. Nice. And I think there's, there's one other thing that I've learned from working in and around yourself and Riddle and Code, Sebastian, is that everybody assumes that the wallet holder is the human. And there's actually a bunch of different use cases where the wallet holder is a device or a machine or a vehicle and the ability to operate a token-based model or the transaction model vehicle to vehicle or vehicle to device or machine to machine, which again is a far cry from crypto kitties and holding baseball cards, but it's an enabler. Yeah, think of NBA Top Shops for a second. You know, if, if you take moments that are memorable for all sports fans yeah, and, and you put them in this kind of eternity layer, you know, what's the relay here? Is it the NBA? Is it a club? Is it a player? Or is it a venue? You, you know, you could even think of a venue, a sports venue to register things that are happening and if they are of interest to sell it off. And of course, it's not about propagating, you know, a machine to machine let's say philosophy uh, just for the sake of it but we will have self-driving cars and all kinds of machine agents that have to interact at least with infrastructure 
and create transactions. So of course, that's also a possibility, but maybe robots creating NFTs uh, will not lead to a very autistic future. Let's see on that one. I don't, th I don't think it's too soon to tell. I think the jury's out on that one, Sebastian. I want to see robot artists creating NFTs. And if, if you look at some of the you know, Google descriptions of, of AI, of, of it looking at pictures of stuff, it's okay. getting more sophisticated over time. Let's, let's see whether we can get robot-based memes. Yeah. At the last event in Dubai, there was an AI coming up with really beautiful art and was drawing at the same time. It was actually quite impressive. So yeah. let's take the Panini example for a second. You know, you could put a crypto chip into the printing machines and Panini could still print physical trading cards uh, and then couple it with a digital twin, add maybe a video or, or some other thing that can only or better be represented digitally. And then you have a Siamese twin that guarantees the proof of provenance for the digital card, adds metadata and other digital events to the NFT, and then you have a holistic experience. So sure, Sebastian. that would be our way of thinking of it. All right, so you guys yeah. have got some homework to do. Anne, over to you, you've been waiting very patiently. And okay. I know that you've been responsible for supporting and challenging some exceptional and idiotic token-based business model <laughs> ideas. Uh, help yeah, us break down what does good look like in this space when you're trying to anchor a business or a proposition of tokens? Yeah. So, I mean, we talk about the art example a lot in NFTs, right? Honestly, I, I tried to Google what are non-art use cases of NFTs and all I got were articles about art NFTs. But on that same thing, I think we're actually more likely to see robots that are just stealing people's artwork on the internet, you know, and turning those into NFTs before we see robots actually creating art and then creating an NFT automatically off of it. Because we're already seeing people stealing other people's art uh, or like stealing, not physically stealing it, but taking things that aren't theirs to actually turn into an NFT, turning it into an NFT and then selling it. And someone who has been the victim of this is William Shatner, where he actually created, I don't remember how long ago it was, I think a number of years ago, actually created a couple NFT things online before NFTs were super cool that were like special, like kind of like trading cards of William Shatner, because of course, William Shatner needs to have his own NFT trading card. But then what he notices, there's a bunch of digital assets out there of his that people started creating NFTs for and people be like, yeah, I bought, I bought this NFT of you. And he was like, wait, I didn't get any money for this. My bank account didn't go touching. I didn't hear that lovely sounds of coins. So, you know, I think that's, that's one of the things we have to solve for this, this to work. I think there are some great models out there, but I think really, again, like the NFT in this case is kind of a product on its own. And it's something that we're talking about for the most part, individuals who are in business as artists trying to do this. And I think trying to create a situation where people who create art in the real world or People who make maybe illustrations, but these illustrations are mostly put online and then they sell the illustration online before the illustrations ever printed. They're not necessarily painting on an actual canvas. And so we have to think about like, well, what is the point for some of these people to create NFTs of their digital artwork, especially if they're like, maybe I do want an NFT of this because in this game I'm playing, I want this person's artwork on my wall, but everyone else is like, I just want a poster. I don't really need, I don't really need the NFT, especially since um, Irina, from the legal standpoint, you're aware of this, but not everyone's aware of this. It's like, just because you own the NFT doesn't mean that you actually own any of the copyright. And actually by default, you can make it so that it includes copyright, but 
for the most part, it doesn't. So it's again, just like buying a poster, but in the digital world. So unless you're really into collecting digital things that you own on your computer, there's not a big point for a lot of people. And I think for, as like someone who is a creator and you are in business for yourself, there's not a lot of point. What we're starting to see is we're starting to see things like OpenSea, other kind of platforms that are like our marketplace is kind of a product and we're allowing people to come here to kind of find NFT, search for them. And we allow creators to easily kind of create the NFT. So those are interesting businesses and those make sense to me. And I'm starting to see kind of this concept of NFT gallery. Sorry, I'm going to say Nifty. I think it's probably supposed to say Nifty. If no one corrected me. Yeah, it's okay. As you can tell, I'm really cool. I'm one of those people where I see it on the internet I just never hear actual people say it. You get these kind of like nifty galleries now where maybe people will go into business for that, but it's a little overhyped. And I think we're in this phase of, you know, where we had initial coin offerings. It's not that initial coin offerings are completely dead, but they are overhyped and there's a lot of fraud. And I think while, you know, nifties are very, very hot, you know, we're going to see a lot of fraud for a while. I think a lot of this hasn't come to light also because I think people are still in this phase where it's this exciting thing and people actually don't really know what they are. It's kind of a really interesting place as, as a viable business because I th I've seen artists where they've managed to do this and it's working for them. But I think that there also is a good number of people where this doesn't make any sense and it's a little overhyped. And some people have even said the reason why this is so exciting is because it's really another avenue in the art world to launder money. Yeah, so, As if the so, art world needed more ways to, to support criminality. And yeah. I, what we're seeing is a vast amount of experimentation, which I think is good. I can't believe the internet did Captain Kirk dirty on this one. I mean, that's, that, that's the other challenge, right? When you've got digital content, it's easy for it to make its way out into the world without necessarily the appropriate use of copyright or through appropriate channels. We've also got to believe at some point in time that there is a monetization model for democratized high volume digital art. When Brendan talks about scarcity, scarcity of assets, you know, when you've got democratized stuff, that just means it's very low cost and very easy to access. But in a lot of these spaces of things that represent high value, is they're particularly unique or they're particularly rare or they're linked to. You know, it could be that that one artist who makes it on OpenSea happens to make it big elsewhere or makes it really big in OpenSea and their content is particularly sought after. But we don't necessarily know how it's going to play out. So in the meantime, it's a gold rush of everyone buying up as much as they can on, on, exactly. on the hope that some of it's going to go big. A little bit like the rest of the world buying up shit coins just in case. Right? Yeah. So uh, I think there's a kind of an interesting analogy of we can see new business models, but we just don't quite know where it's going to go yet. I want to get into the roast, guys. So what I've asked each of you to do is to bring one example of an NFT that you think is utterly ridiculous, utterly useless, has no particular value or is particularly comedic in nature. And there are plenty of those. And also one example of an NFT that you like, a model that you think has some relevance or has some applicability in the real world. So I'm going to start with Brendan. I'm going to ask you to go first, please, sir, and give, All us right. your, give us your bad before your good, please. Okay, so I'm going to attack an entire category of art. The, the trash art movement in, within NFTs is just really, really ugly. I mean, it's a really special kind of ugly. And there's been a lot of wonderful art, and the accessibility of art is really facilitated with this technology. But trash art is where artists are really pushing the boundaries of 
copyright and they're grabbing public art and photos and they're modifying them for their artistic purposes. And the aesthetic, the artistic aesthetic is just appalling. And hopefully it has a really, really short lifespan. It's fallen off for a while, but uh, trash art as a category is just, it's time for it. It needs to go away forever. <laughs> and I guess my favorite, of course, I'm, I'm really partial to the officially licensed trading cards that Panini makes. And I've got a particular card that is historically important to me. I was actually present and watching the game where this photo of Roger Staubach was captured, but it's part of one of our flawless brands. Uh, it's one of the many brands that uh, Panini has in the physical world, and we've created a, an NFT counterpart on the Panini blockchain. Got you. And, and I don't think anyone's going to contest that collectibles that have sort of authenticity, that have pervasiveness, that are supported by a brand that you can trust or that are supported in a way technically, you can make sure that there is authenticity. Trash art's a new one for me. I guess kind of aligned to the concept of democratization of content that you can buy. Some of it's going to be great. Some of it's going to be not so great. I don't know if any of you guys are, are purveyors of trash art, but um, it's not one that I've heard before. All right. Who am I going to bring in next? Irina. I realize you are challenging in all NFTs, but are there any particular examples that you've seen that really, really get you going in terms of rage or delight? Um, well, um, I don't really have rage, but I do have like a really, you know, I, my heart broke when I saw the original Banksy painting being burned. Like it broke my heart. Uh, I understand why they did it. I mean, it's a great publicity. It's cheap publicity. And I understand what they're trying to achieve here, bring awareness to NFTs, et cetera, et cetera, which is great. But maybe we could do that without burning art. Maybe we could do that without destroying uh, pieces of, uh, you know, uh, um, I personally, that, that broke my heart. I really like Banksy. So what's uh, hearing everything, what is being said, you know, digital twins and the, the, the tech side of it from care. So what I think would make sense for somebody who's a super, super practical person like me, I have never collected anything in my life. I absolutely see no purpose of doing that. I absolutely, I have just moved countries with literally 40 boxes and my, Theory is next time I move a country, I want it to be 20 boxes. So I want like, I don't want things like completely. I don't want things. So what I, for example, think is a useful thing for NFTs is that let's say a ticket to a concert, which has some right attached to go in the backstage and have your picture with this artist that you love immortalized in that same very NFT, for example, is that technically possible? Probably yes. Or, for example, um, practicing law across multiple jurisdictions. Here I have my law degree, you know, having that as an NFT, which is actually authorized by my government somehow. That looks uh, like a cactus, not a law degree, Irina. Is that what you Okay, there's to the a law degree behind <laughs> the cactus. <laughs> It's all there, don't worry. Um, so having an, uh, having that NFT, so next time I move a country, I send it to the uh, regulator and say, here you go, I'm actually a lawyer. Or if you're a doctor and if you're moving countries or studying a job at a new clinic, you send it to the clinic administrator saying, yes, I'm a doctor. So some practical, useful things like this, because there's so many people who have lost their original degrees. There's so many people who have lost their original, I don't know what, marriage certificates. And then they have to, you know, spend four years recovering it, because apparently when you move countries, you need to prove that you're a family. So, you know, having very, very practical applications that I would be totally for. 
Nice. I like that. And again, I think it's important to realize that there are different ways to think about how we use tokens in different, a whole bunch of different contexts, right? The, the one that's most familiar is the collectibles and the kitties and so on. But I think there's some really nice examples in there. I think, you know, also bombshell that Irina has been practicing cactus law for the last 10 years. It probably explains why you're so prickly and you have success in hot countries. But After uh, sorry, Sebastian, come in on this. I have to raise an alert here. Uh, don't believe anybody in the blockchain space that says it's all there somewhere. You know, be aware of these people. Yeah. Even if it's behind a cactus, wallets are have to be a bit more secure than, you know, just somewhere. All right, Sebastian, you've jumped on this one. So I'm going to ask you to go next. Bring in your not so good and your very, very good version of an NFT in your mind. About the good projects, let me jump back to something that we had a discussion in, in 2018 with the Austrian Postal Service. They wanted to launch the first crypto stamp. I think they're early movers if it comes to the stamping you know, area. And they really did it in, in 2019, uh, not with the very technical concept that we suggested, but they were quite successful. you know. But it was a very much plain vanilla uh, collectible type, you know, have several different colored editions on Ethereum blockchain. And even back then prices skyrocketed. Uh, I think they're just preparing the third generation of launch. So that's fine. And something that didn't fully convince me in the, let's say rather business or industrial space. I saw uh, an article about a, a Baltic airline NFT launch very recently. And I think, you know, airlines are desperate of course, and the Baltics have done a great job to, to advance the crypto uh, economy. So I think we have to give Air Baltic uh, credentials to be accept Bitcoins first as an airline for ticket purchases. But, you know, to really put a scrappy photoshopped Airbus picture uh, with the silhouette of a, uh, of a Baltic city, um, I don't think this will really lead to heavy, heavy, heavy sales and, and prices skyrocketing. So that's more something you can certainly do it, but you really don't need to. That's an interesting one. It may appeal to some aviation enthusiasts. I mean, if there are plane spotters out there, if there are people who will stand at the end of runways with photo lenses and binoculars, maybe there is a fan base for aviation-related collectibles. Yeah, just Google it and uh, judge for yourselves. <laughs> Very good. Thank you so much for that, Sebastian. And I'm going to come to you next. Give us your good and bad and and, oh, and be gentle. I kind of have, reality, I kind of have too bad. I really could not choose between these two. It, like both of them are, they're bad for different reasons. So one, I'll start with the one that is maybe a little... <laughs> more controversial azalea banks sex tape i don't really know why we need to have sex tapes as as nifties you know i'm like i think people do a great job without that in that format <laughs> you know i i, I think that's like confusing i'm like that's one of the kind of things where i'm like you know you could just do that without the blockchain right even if you want to just sell it to like one person be like that person owns it there's there's a whole legal process where you don't necessarily need to do that but i mean it's definitely a way to get attention if you are seeking attention before i go into my next one i see arena i think had a you unmuted so i didn't know if you had a comment don't hate on sex tapes kim kardashian is a billionaire now so whatever whatever you know i'm all for you know a girl got a hustle if a girl got a hustle whatever it is <laughs> not against sex tapes i think i'm just questioning sex tapes in the formats of nifties <laughs> well not know, technology moves on right technology moves on so uh, you know heads up uh, you know uh, you know cheers for adopting the technology 
Don't forget about lingerie. You can tag it with crypto tags and then sell it off as well. There we so go. Basically, supporting the artists and allowing them to monetize yeah. their inverted commas oh, art. So if that's what we're helping them do, so be it. But I think, as Anne said, there's a few different ways we can enable that. This is just well, so bad. Well, maybe, maybe we'll just, yeah, we could just, if, if we really think that we're, we're into this, we could create a whole platform that's just like nifties of people's sex tapes, you know, and you can be the lawyer for it. Oh, you know what? I'll take it even further. So there are a lot of men out there who send unsolicited messages to women. And there was a, a young lady complaining about it on Twitter recently. And I actually had this idea. So you receive an unsolicited message from man or a woman, no discrimination here from anybody else. You NFT it with their name, their contact details, their full information. And then they have the first right to buy it from you before you make it as a public thing for sale. So, and there, and that's actually a problem out there where uh, women receiving unsolicited messages. Some, some, sometimes are these messages very, very crude. Sometimes those messages are very inappropriate. I have two police restraining orders against some of the, you know, volunteer writers there. And this lady actually, you know, asked, you know, why don't you be my lawyer? Because I want that platform for women. Basically, you show one time, do not do that. You slap them on the wrist and, and then hopefully... Uh, those people learn not to be inappropriate to other people, to be respectful to other people. So why not? You be the product manager, I'll be the lawyer. Done. Excellent. I love this. I love this. One of, one of my, we're now accepting funding. But one of my questions actually about In this BTC. is a lot of times these messages are on other platforms. And as the IP person, because this ties a little bit into what I was going to go, we don't really read the terms of service and a lot of these things. And if this, maybe the message itself is not, but like, for example, like when Jack Dorsey turned his tweet into a nifty, can anyone just turn like, even like, say, let's say a Facebook post into a, a nifty? Cause technically you can, but then how do certain things like interact a, with, very, with the terms of service? And there's that a very easy turn uh, work around. For example, yeah. Mona Lisa is somebody's piece of art and it's amazing and it's gorgeous and the original is hang, hanging in, yeah. fr, in, in Paris. If I take my camera and take a picture of it, this becomes my IP because I have taken a picture of that. I positioned the lights and I somehow made an effort. So now this is my IP. So me taking a picture, uh, maybe not a screenshot, but I take a picture of a screenshot that becomes my my IP and I welcome anybody to argue that with me because that's okay. has been done so you over and over the, again. Well, so you can you're sell okay the with ownership. the Mona Lisa because there's not a copyright holder anymore. But if okay, it was my painting and you took a picture of it, then you'd be making a derivative work. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, Mona Lisa doesn't have an IP mm. holder anymore. But for example, taking a picture of something, and of course, not the ideal one for one, but for example, you know, making some arty example of it, then it becomes my yeah. own uh, work of art. I can argue. Yeah. So the interesting thing is, so this is my other example, trying to turning tweets into nifties. And here's my thought. Okay, so even though Jack, he owns the IP to that tweet, even for that, you just own the tweet, but then they don't own the IP. And I guess that that can be valuable. Yeah. And so I think when you say turn the tweet into a nifty, you're not turning the tweet into a nifty. This is this terminology is what confuses people. You just create a nifty that points at the tweet. Yes. Um, or so at a picture of a tweet, tweet in, into anything. Yeah. 
So, and when you create a non-fungible token, you're creating a pointer to something else that already existed. And in most cases, you're not even getting any proper ownership rights of the thing that the non-fungible token points to. So this is when people say, I'm turning this art piece into an NFT, that's like me saying, I'm turning my car into a registration document. Well, no, the car is still there. And what's more, unless I'm doing it under authority and with a contract behind, I'm, when I say I'm turning my car into a registration document, what I'm actually doing is I'm, my car is still on my driveway and I'm just printing off a piece of paper with, this is the registration document written on it by me. And I can do it a hundred times. And you can do the same with NFTs. I can say, I'm going to mint NFTs or Jack Dorsey's tweet on every single blockchain out there. So I'm not authorized to do that. I can do it anyway. It's wonderful in decentralized yeah. land. And I can do it as many times as I like. So, and uh, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, non-binaries, here just made my whole argument for not quote unquote turning tweets into NFTs, which you're not actually turning into. So I rest my case. All right. And, and it would be a perfect segue at this point to go on to Keir because we've got him warmed up. We've got him agitated. Keir, let's go with your worst and best in the NFT space. Well, I'm going to talk in general about the worst ones. And uh, to start with, a lot of what's happening in NFTs is currently gimmicks. And actually, I have nothing against gimmicks. You know, when Marcel Duchamp put a urinal in a museum and said, that's a piece of art, it's a gimmick, but it's a fantastic piece of art history. That's wonderful. If I now go and put a urinal in an art museum, that is copying a gimmick. And that is pointless and banal and kind of laughable, to be honest. And yeah, this yeah. is the problem that I'm seeing in the NFT art space. And I'm sad about it as well. It's you're taking a gimmick, you know, Kings of Leon being the first band to release an NFT in association with their music. Fantastic. Then I go to the enemy. And there's some other band of scruffy looking teenagers, I can say that now because I'm old, and they're doing the same thing. And it's kind of, so you're trying to jump on a bandwagon and you're not adding anything of value, you're just copying. And this is what we're seeing in the art NFT world is it's copying a gimmick. History has already been written. Beeple was one of the guys who got in on the act. So he's managed to get his name in the art history books. Now you've got some artist who's been starving in a garret painting and thinking, actually, maybe I could make a fortune in my lifetime and not end up like Van Gogh at best. I'm going to make NFTs related to my art too. They're not going to succeed. The odds of you as an artist doing something that pushes this forward that would be of interest to art historians is zero. So you're wasting your Ethereum gas that you're spending on minting these things. You'd be better off buying yourself a sandwich with the money. I think there's an interesting comparison there, though, because I think there's the artwork itself. You know, like you said, putting a urinal on a wall, you know, apart from being arrested, probably just for being a bit weird. I think that the part of it saying is the content unique. If the content isn't unique, then yes, I agree. The kind of the me tooisms of it. But if I look at the ticketing example, particularly the Kings of Leon, what they did there—that's the the methodology that sits underneath this—I think is interesting and repeatable because what mm -hmm. what they did is saying that there is a, there is a ticket that allows you access to backstage passes, photos with a band, dinner out, whatever it might be. And right now that's selling for $2,000 or $5,000, whatever it sells for. If that band becomes more valuable or those tickets become more rare or more, more valued in the world, if I sell those tickets to somebody else, I make money, the scalper makes money. None of the effort that the band has gone to, to increasing its eminence or its craft or the value of its services comes out and comes back to them. So I, I think the methodology that sits underneath 
smart contract-based ticketing where you can improve or allow the artist to share in the value of the art as it appreciates. I think that's got some legs, but I agree with the me too, make an NFT and it goes to half a million immediately. I think that's got diminishing returns. Right. So you actually preempted me on what I think is a good use case, by the way, which was back to the uh, ticket thing. Indeed. You've got to think, why would I want to NFT that can be traded in a decentralized manner? Because most of the time, like, for example, when we talk about ticketing, the concert promoters and venues don't want to have independently tradable decentralized tickets because that is a godsend for scalpers. And however, what you point out there is that what you can bake into these NFTs is the idea that as they're resold, a certain amount goes back to the originator. So it's not in the interest of a concert promoter to allow ticket scalping, but it may be of interest to the band. If the band knows that every time it changes hands, they get a share of the profits, then you're siphoning profits out of the scalpers' pockets and into the artists. So there could be a case made for that. And there are a number of other cases where you can see this too. If you did actually manage to link your NFT to a piece of art, then you can have a situation where when it's resold, the artist makes more money off it. Whereas I think in a lot of cases in traditional art, if you sell your piece of art, you have to be pretty famous before you can put a clause on it that says you get a percentage of any future profits. So people like Damien just can probably say, yeah, I will sell you this art, but if you ever sell it on, I get a share of the profits. Joe Nobody probably cannot, you know, is just happy enough to get 200 quid for something they painted and can't dictate those kind of terms. So being able to bake that kind of resale thing, and I think that is where having non-fungible tokens may be of interest, similarly with royalties, for example, that you can automate some of the way in which the revenue is transferred. And you see this, for example, in collective management organizations or royalty collecting societies. At the moment, you farm that out to these organizations and they take a cut and it's slow. So I can see opportunities there for artists, musicians, and people like that ultimately to benefit from NFTs. But we're not there yet. We're still a long way off. And in the meantime, we're riding a hype curve and it's all, um, it's not just gimmicks, it's copies of gimmicks. Brilliant. Thank you so much for that, Kier. Anybody else want to come in on that one or share any other last thoughts or observations? Anything else we didn't get to share with the audience? Have at it, guys. Yeah. So I just wanted to follow up on Kier's comment that uh, we're not there yet. NFTs are fun to roast at this moment in time, but they are the future of a lot of different categories, not just collectibles. There's this huge design space that is being perfected now. The law is behind. The technical implementations are behind. And those will be perfected. And it's happening very rapidly. I'm working with uh, a lot of the issues that Anne brought up and that Akira brought up. They're being addressed in the background right now, whether it's cross-chain exploits, redundant use of an abuse of copyright, all of these things are being handled technically. And of course, the, the overall space is a testament to how much people want and need, creators need virtual property to emerge as a real property under the law. And so it's, it's going to happen. It, it's coming. All right. Any, anybody else want to share a last nugget of wisdom or Irina, maybe it's worth coming back to you to say, based on the last hour of conversation, are you feeling a little bit more bullish? Are you feeling swayed? 
I'm not swayed uh, yet, but there are some few very practical things were being discussed. So those I will totally support. And I, I feel uh, convinced on those. On a separate topic, and please feel free to cut it out if it's not allowed, I'd like to invite everybody to Dubai Blockchain Summit, which is happening at the end of May. And we will have a dedicated NFT stream and NFT workshop. So anybody, whatever you want to NFT anything on the day, everybody will be able to do that, whether it's a very useful business model like Anne and I just came up with or very useless business model, which Kier has been uh, given a lot of blocks. So either way, everybody's welcome and um, hope to see you all in Dubai. Thank you for the kind invitation, Irina. For some of us, it might have to be virtually for the time being, but I appreciate all of you guys joining the show. What I think we've demonstrated is technically there's a lot of value here. There's a few gaps in terms of process, in terms of technology, in terms of legal, in terms of going a journey through disputes and evolving the model. And there's some utterly ludicrous nonsense out there that the day when Taco Bell starts coming out with NFTs and art, stick to the tacos, guys. Really, this isn't your core space. But it's great to see the innovation. It's great to see the excitement. Thank you so much, Brendan, Anne, Irina, Kia, and Sebastian for joining us on the show. And stay safe out there. Thanks again for listening to the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast. As always, opinions in this episode are mine and those of my guests alone. If you want to find out more, please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Check out some of the other episodes on the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast and check out the YouTube channel also called Blockchain Won't Save the World.